The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 355, powered by Rageworks, broadcasting live Wednesday, July 27th, 2016. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning into My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming and entertainment we air live every wednesday usually at 11 p.m eastern 8 p.m pacific to cover mma and wrestling and thursdays 11 p.m eastern 8 p.m pacific to cover gaming and entertainment this show is simulcast on mtrlive.com in audio and video formats you can also watch the video stream via twitch vaughn live and youtube as well Audio can be listened to either by using the call-in number 347-324-3541 and not hitting option 1 to enter the switchboard, and you'll be able to listen that way. You can also download the Mixler app, M-I-X-L-R, for iOS and Android, and punch in My Take Radio, and you'll be able to listen to the show that way with 96K um, stereo sound. And also, if you are a listener of the Black is the uh, <laughs> if you're a listener of the Black is the New Black podcast, you can also listen to that live simulcast on Mixler as well. So we were supposed to start at eleven o'clock. That was my goal, and um, come in, get the studio ready, start everything up, and no video. So if you guys tuned in last week you know that we got a brand new uh hd camera we were streaming in 1080p 60 frames per second beautiful crisp delightful video and um what ended up happening was the video card that we were using at the time we had some issues setting it up we thought it was good clearly it wasn't because when i tried to uh force the video to play or to render uh it caused a blue screen of death on my pc and I actually thought that we were not going to have a show this evening. So luckily, I still did. I still had my uh, my USB webcams, which I was able to use for this week's show. Obviously, as much as I tried to avoid it, it looks like I will need to uh, make the investment 
with a brand new capture card. Uh, if you're somebody who live streams and have any recommendations, right now I'm leaning towards uh, a Elgato HD60 or maybe a Live Gamer Pro for dual purpose, obviously for streaming the show and for gaming as well. Would love to hear your thoughts on it. Otherwise, uh, definitely getting rid of this black. I use a Black Magic Intensity and um, hasn't been working. Big pain in the ass. That's for damn sure. Uh, the other thing was a lot of people were telling me about the issues with the audio kind of being behind the video slightly. Actually, that I did manage to resolve, and I'm hoping that that is the case for this week's episode. As it turns out, that it is a uh, setting for the audio delay by milliseconds. So we've adjusted the delay, and uh, yes, that's right, Slick Live Gamer Extreme. Thank you. Um, we've adjusted the delay by about 100 milliseconds or so, and we did some test video. Looks good. Everything is in sync. I am hoping that um, it is also in sync on YouTube where we also applied the 100 millisecond delay. Now, I can only hope that in applying that delay for YouTube, it didn't mess up uh, Twitch, Vaughn Live, and any of the other providers. So if you are using any of those, uh, please feel free to reach out via social media or email. Let me know and um, you know we'll continue to tweak it as best as we can. Uh, a couple of things we want to get into for this week's show. Obviously, we're going to talk about this past weekend's UFC event. We're going to talk about Battleground, Raw, SmackDown, this week's wrestling's... Wow, a lot of fucking up tonight. Uh, This week's wrestling news. And um, want to talk about a crazy Lucha event that I attended this past Sunday uh, with my wife, uh, my buddy Jimbo Slice, and uh, young young Jay. I don't want to put his name out there out of of respect, um, but... We all went to check out this uh, Lucha event uh, put on by Lucha Libre Productions, and it was crazy. It was insane. Uh, some really good indie wrestling. Main event was Lucha Underground's Phoenix and Pentagon Jr. squaring off. Hardcore markout mode for yours truly. Um, I'll definitely get into that a little bit during the wrestling segment. Uh, But before I want to get into that, I'll get into a couple of housekeeping matters I did want to get out of the way. Uh, First and foremost, uh, for those of you that have asked, we are going to be on iHeartRadio. The goal is probably within the next week. Uh, We were supposed to have that finalized by tomorrow, but according to what I've been told, the settings for it and the amount of shows that we have is making things a little a little more difficult to set up. Not necessarily a bad thing. They just want to work all the bugs out. Uh, once we got that set up, I will, of course, let you guys know, and you'll be able to get the shows via iHeartRadio. For Google Play and Spotify, still a couple of weeks out. I thought we would have that closed out by the end of the month. Also, uh, Google Play requires um, a little bit of legwork on my part, just trying to get all the feeds set up. And also, since we are going to do it as the Rageworks Network, uh, that's going to require some new art and a couple of other things that need uh, to be designed. So uh, we're in the process of doing that, trying to get some designers for that. Uh, We have a couple of, um, I want to say, tentative designs that that I've seen thus far that people have sent me. And I like what I'm seeing. Uh, Of course, a select few of you and our staff will probably get to see those designs before they go live just for feedback and anything else so we can we can tweak it accordingly. But um, I think once we have that set up for the Rageworks Network, 
Uh, that will, of course, that branding will carry over to iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio as well. And you'll be able to just punch in the RageWorks Network and get all the shows that way. As I mentioned last week, there is a way for you to subscribe to the individual shows if you prefer. You can just go to RageWorks.net, go to the podcast section, and pretty much dump the RSS for that podcast into your podcatcher of choice. And you'll be able to listen to those shows that way. I did some testing with it for a couple of our shows, and it did work. Of course, if you have any issues with that, please let me know. Uh, that way we can work on making sure that that is remedied for you guys. Last but not least, uh, a couple of things on the contest front. Of course, we did our huge Game of Thrones contest, which was out of this world. Amazing turnout. Uh, congrats to the winner, Aaron, who should have her package within the next couple of days. Uh, we are going to launch a special contest in partnership with our friends at Ripped Apparel, who, of course, do daily pop culture T-shirts of different designs. Um, they have expanded quite a bit, not just T-shirts. They do art prints, tank tops, tote bags, etc. So we are going to partner with them for a giveaway. So if you're a fan of Deadpool, uh, you may want to tune in either for tomorrow's show or next week for details on that contest. And, of course, we will publish it on RageWorks.net. Uh, just trying to iron out all the details in terms of entries. Going to have to make you guys work a little bit for this one, as always, just because we have um, partners invested as well. So it's not just going to be, hey, answer this random question and you get a prize. I mean, don't get me wrong. We like to do those giveaways, too, just to just to help get you guys some stuff. But when you know we got to work with people, there's there's a little bit more legwork that has to be done. A couple of quote unquote hoops you have to jump through. But nonetheless, I think that we've had an incredible success rate with our contest thus far. Uh, we went from 10 people entering to 50 people entering to over 100 people entering for the Game of Thrones giveaway. And um, I'm incredibly pumped for that. Also, got a couple of unboxing videos that we actually took off the My Take Radio channel and are uploading to the Rageworks channel to go with a couple of product reviews that we are working on, including a Huawei smartwatch elegant edition uh, my wife is being the guinea pig for that obviously not one because the watch is pink or rose gold and um it's a, it's a it's a lady's watch of course and we're also working on some plantronics headset reviews we got some stuff from hyper x as well so make sure to subscribe to the rageworks youtube channel if you have not already to keep up with that stuff and of course keep it locked to rageworks.net for all the product reviews as well well, all right. I think that's going to wrap up, wrap up the housekeeping for this episode. Let's jump into this week's MMA. Lots of notes to discuss for this week's episode. Of course, uh, UFC on Fox 20 was this past weekend. All eyes were on Holly Holm as she got back in the cage trying to shake off the loss to Misha Tate. Uh, very, very big buzz for her fight with Valentina Shevchenko. And um, the fight did not disappoint, unfortunately. Uh, for those of you that are fans of Holly Holm, you did not get the results you wanted as Valentina Shevchenko Ooh, I'm going to probably bludgeon that poor girl's name a dozen times. Really put the work on Holly Holm. She uh, 
secured the victory via decision in an incredible, incredible performance. I was thoroughly impressed with how she really picked apart the former champion. Everybody thought that it was going to be just a heavy striking exchange between both ladies. Obviously, Valentina Shevchenko coming in with a solid, solid Muay Thai background, of course, taking on the uh, esteemed and veteran pugilist in Holly Holm. Of course, that was not the case. Styles do make fights, and in this case, uh, Shevchenko's style was definitely infinitely better than Holly Holm. I mean, Holly Holm came out of the gate aggressive in the first round, looked really good, but Shevchenko dialed it in, in from round two on, and it was just pretty much a a dismantling, a systematic dismantling of the former champion. And it makes for a promising case, especially for Shevchenko. I mean, a lot of people were saying that Juliana Pena uh, secured herself a title opportunity, but I think Shevchenko also has a claim to that defeating a former champion. If I were in the booking seat for this particular situation, I would definitely uh, book a title eliminator between Pena and Shevchenko with the winner uh, getting Amanda Nunes. Of course, wishful thinking, but that is how I would book it if I were the matchmaker. Well, let's get into the bugs, which many of you know are the bad, the ugly, and the good. I like to lead with the bad news first. Um, The ugly, of course, like I said, uh, Shevchenko and Holm, not because it was an ugly fight, but just because it was a, a, a mix of styles that just didn't work well for Holly Holm. And in that respect, it was just a, it, it was ugly to see, but only because it was just a, a really, I want to say one-sided affair. I mean, it's, like I said, Holly Holm came out aggressive in that first round, but then Shevchenko all the way through to, to wrap it up. And um, that's that, that's pretty much it. That's there's not much more to elaborate in that regard, except, um, you know, Holly Holm has to go back, reassess and try and get back in there. But um, I think that one of the reasons that Holly Holm is getting caught isn't so much. And when I mean getting caught, not losing, uh, you know, by knockout or submission, but just getting picked apart is because many people now have watched tape. Lots and lots and lots of tape. And the thing is that even though she is evolving, she's not evolving at a rate that's going to make her fresh to anyone that she fights. You know, a lot of fighters, they, you know, they have certain skills that they're known for. And those skills are the skills that you got to scout for. And of course, the the goal of is to go and expand your repertoire, learn something else, and then come back in there and really, really show us something different. And for some fighters, it's it's immediate, the changes. For some, it's something that happens gradually. For others, they just rely on what they've been doing for as long as I can remember. And that's pretty much how they end up securing the victories that they get until, of course, people start figuring them out from bell to bell, and then they're not as successful. I think Shevchenko was just a more well-rounded striker, not to say that Holly Holm isn't, like I said, Holly Holm is an incredible boxer. Her stand-up is good. Her hands are, are solid. And I say that her hands are solid because I know many of you are going to be like, how are you going to say that? She's a boxer. Um, people that are good boxers that transition to MMA, I feel that many of them regress in terms of how they throw punches. 
if you watch a lot of MMA fights and and you're someone who's a fan of boxing, me being a boxing novice, I am, you know, I'm only doing this based on visual. But if you are someone who is a hardcore boxing fan, you're going to be able to figure out and see immediately that the quote unquote boxing that is applied in MMA is a far departure from the sweet science many people are used to seeing in a boxing ring. And I think that for many fighters, they come in, they're trying to get well-rounded. Some fighters, they get, they, they, I, I feel that they're told that, hey, you know, throwing strikes like that isn't effective. And um, boxing's been around a long fucking time. Last time I checked, if you knew how to throw hands, it was pretty effective. I mean, you know, obviously, you got to use all your limbs when you're, when you're doing that. You know, when you're when you're fighting in MMA, but that doesn't take away from the fact that a dedicated, dedicated boxing uh, boxing coach and, uh, uh, you know, just dedication to the to the art itself is going to really show for certain fighters more than others. I mean, a lot of fighters are told, oh, yeah, this guy has great hands and they do in terms of just MMA punching. But a lot of people, they'll go and they'll be like, yeah, this guy's going to transition to boxing and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, listen, just because it works in MMA, it's a, it's a different level of striking in boxing. You know, I, I've said this before. I really, really hate the constant um, comparisons between both sports. Aside from them both being, quote unquote, violent sports, there are substantial differences. It, not, not just in the way that the training is done, but just in the execution as a whole. I mean, in MMA, you're training for you know, three five-round fights or five five-round fights. In boxing, you're training for, you know, 12, 15 rounds, depending on, on, on the fight. And the way I see it is you're looking at just a, a necessity to separate both of them. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not somebody who's a, a boxing aficionado, not by, not by any means. You know, my, my relationship with boxing is watching Muhammad Ali fight when I was a kid, a little bit when Mike Tyson burst on the scene, and that's pretty much been it. Occasionally, you know, Jimbo Slice will show me a couple of, of boxing fights, uh, you know, Golovkin, those guys, you know, Canelo, seeing those guys fight, and, um, you know, I respect it. I respect the art form. I respect the technique and, and the discipline that's involved. Just, I, I just... It's it's not for me. Not not to take anything away from it, because again, it's a it's a, it's a sport that when you get invested in it, you you know you find much enjoyment. I mean, I knew people that were hardcore boxing fans in the '90s, and it was every weekend. You know, talking about you know guys like Riddick Bowe, uh, Mike Tyson, of course, Lennox Lewis, uh, Prince Nassim, uh, Roy Jones Jr. I mean, you know, I know I know my fair share of fighters. I learned about Prince Nassim one day because I um, I saw a video package and everybody was like, "Oh man, you know this guy? This guy's crazy. He's a showboat. He's insane." And I was like, "All right, how 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 crazy is this dude?" And I remember I watched an HBO special on him and I was just like, "Holy shit, this guy is uh, pretty pretty crazy." And I'm not talking about crazy in the sense of of you know athletic prowess, but just in the way that he conducted himself and the way he he marketed himself which was which was pretty nuts pretty fucking crazy i think the only other memorable boxing thing as someone who's a novice can remember was when trinidad took on bernard hopkins and bernard hopkins threw the uh the puerto rican flag on the floor and people went fucking crazy 
Like, what the fuck is happening? What the hell? I'm like, oh, my God. You know, it was it was a pretty big deal back then, especially for someone like me, who, like I said, is a is a novice when it comes to that. So um, it's uh, it's interesting, you know, to 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 compare it to a point. But the people that constantly sit there and they they go into this deep analysis on on, you know, the differences between both sports. It's like they're very, 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 very different from from the money to, you know, the promoters, to the titles, to everything, substantially different. But people always want to pit one against the other. It's no different than, you know, Lucha Libre versus uh, Puro versus, you you know, wrestling in the U.S. It's There's there's always purists for each, but um, I figured I would, I would share my thoughts on that. In any case, there was nothing bad about this Fox card. On the contrary, all the fights were solid. They were either... Really, really good fights that yielded some decisions or really awesome finishes that were just, you know, they were crazy. Like I said, um, you know, Shevchenko and Holmes goes into the ugly column for the reasons I stated. But now, good moments. Uh, Edson Barboza, Gilbert Melendez, El Nino definitely was, uh, is going to be walking a little gingerly for the next couple of weeks as Edson Barboza just Put the work in. Lots of nasty, nasty leg kicks. I thought back to Jose Aldo and Uriah Faber when I saw this fight. Uh, Barboza looked really good against a, a very, very dangerous opponent in El Nino, Gilbert Melendez. Um, really, really thought that Melendez was going to come in there and and impose his will. Not to take anything away from Barboza, but Melendez is just a, you know, he's a, he's a good fighter. Uh, probably one that's considered in, in the all-time greats category, depending on who you ask, but... I was I was shocked the way he was chopped down by Edson Barboza in that fight. Also, Felice Herrig's submission victory was um it was it was a thing of beauty to see. I think that, you know, Felice Herrig gets a bum rap from a lot of people uh because of the way she markets herself and, you know, everything that she does to raise her quote unquote social profile. And a lot of people felt that when she actually got put in the UFC and she fought, you know, her last couple of fights that she was quote unquote exposed, which I don't think is the right way to look at it. I think that there was a transition to someone who is part of a bigger machine. Obviously, you know, brand awareness and, and being your own brand is a huge part for many fighters. But you also got to take into account that there's, uh, you know, a level of competition that is substantially higher than, you know, your previous your pre- the previous organizations you were in, I think. For Felice Herrig, that was definitely apparent in the early goings. I think she had a tremendous training camp. Um, you know, she had some some issues she had to deal with, uh, both personal and professional, from what I've heard. And I think that what we saw was probably one of the best versions of Felice Herrig we've seen. Uh, gone are the days of, you know, senseless, uh, scantily clad uh, social media photos. I mean, they're still out there. You know, it is what it is. But it's not that constant barrage of, you know, over-sexualized content. I think it's because, you know, she's she's become more disciplined as a fighter, um, really applied her energies to other things. I mean, she did American Ninja Warrior, and I just feel that she, she dove into the training head first, and it definitely paid off. Her submission victory was, was definitely nice to see. I was thoroughly impressed, and... Um, Hopefully, we'll continue to see that. I think that she is one of those fighters that you can market and would be one of the stars that you can build a division around. I think that, you know, they had tried to do that 
with Carla Esparza coming in as the champion during the Ultimate Fighter. Obviously, didn't go according to plan, but I think that, you know, Cookie Monster and the Little Bulldog still have something to offer uh, the UFC and mixed martial arts in general, and we're going to be watching it with uh, very, very vested interest. Just because, like I said, I followed uh, these fighters' careers from their other organizations, and to see them transition now into this into this bigger role in an organization that you know it's, it's a fucking juggernaut. It's it's definitely interesting to see. The other fight I wanted to talk about: uh, Wineland and Godofredo Pepe, because man, that was. Woo! It was it was it was scary stuff, and the reason I want to talk about it is because of the way that fight played out. The um, you know, the fight Eddie Wineland looked really good uh, as soon as the bell rang, and um, actually, let me rephrase that. Two fights I want to talk about: Eddie Wineland, Frankie Signs, and then I want to talk about uh, Pepe's fight as well. Uh, you know, Eddie Wineland ended up taking fight of the night for this. Um, definitely well-earned, dispatching uh, Frankie Signs uh, via TKO in the third round. It was it was wild, man. It was a it was a wild fight. Eddie Wineland looked good. I think he definitely made a strong case for himself in his division. You know, Bantamweights, it's crazy because he came in ranked number 12, and Bantamweights is one of those d- divisions which, much like I've talked about with the 170-pounders and the 185-pounders, there's there's a lot of competition in those weight classes that you got to come in there and really make a statement to start cracking that top 10. Uh, Eddie Wineland came in, you know, he was ranked 15 to take on Frankie Signs, ranked number 12. And man, it, it wasn't it wasn't even a I don't want to say it was one sided, but it was just a, a stellar performance by Wineland from bell to bell. I was thoroughly, thoroughly impressed, um, you know. I want to talk about Pepe's fight with Darren Elkins. You know, got Alfredo Pepe Castro. Um, for those of you that don't know him by his fighting name, Pepe is um, he's a he's an interesting fighter to watch. I actually thought that he was going to come in and and impress taking on Darren Elkins, but unfortunately, you know, I think that what what I you know what I saw from the highlight reels on, on YouTube and social media and what we saw in the fight wasn't what I was hoping for. And the reason I say this is just because, you know, it was, um, you got to look at it this way. When you're, when you're watching guys like, like Pepe and, and Elkins fight, you know, Elkins is ranked number 11 came into the fight 20 and five. Uh, Pepe was 12 and three when he came in. Uh, Elkins has, you know, substantial experience. Um, a guy who's been fighting in the, in the quote unquote big time for, for a little bit. And I want to say that because of that, he he knows how to approach his fights. I don't want to say methodically, but definitely more more grounded. You know, he comes out of the gate. He knows how to utilize every every bit of his arsenal. I mean, the guy was three inches taller than Pepe coming in. You know, you look at that and height for a lot of people. They look at it and they're like, ah, hey, you know, that's not a big factor. Um, you know, three inches is is the difference between, you know, throwing a kick and hitting somebody in the midsection versus getting a, a nice head kick and scoring a head kick knockout. I mean, those three inches make a hell of a lot of difference. Obviously, flexibility is a big factor. But, um, I, you know, I, I, I really thought that from the highlight reels I saw for, for Pepe online that he was going to show some of what many people have seen 
in you know highlight reels uh, in the fight against Darren Elkins. But Elkins was just a uh, a, a more well rounded opponent from bell to bell. I mean, you know, there was a uh, a point deduction in the second round, but um, you know, it was it was nasty too, only because of the of the knee that was you know that went in there. He um, Pepe, and that was one of the reasons why. I kind of jumped around when I was doing my notes was because when I was writing it, my notes for the show, he had landed the illegal knee and everybody kind of thought, oh man, you know, um, Pepe is going to, he may still secure the victory, but Elkins, Elkins dialed it in, man. He looked, uh, he looked really good, got the fight via unanimous decision. I was talking to a, to a buddy of mine about this fight and, you know, he scored it a little differently. He kind of felt that, even with the point deduction, Pepe had the opportunity to win this fight. And, you know, I watched the fight on two separate occasions, once live and once, you know, while prepping for the show. And it could have gone either way, but I think that the that le- that loss of the point in the second allowed Elkins to really turn it up in the third and really just kind of swing the pendulum in his direction to get the decision from the judges. But either way, uh, still a good fight. Um, you know, like I said, wins for... Wineland and Elkins were definitely highlights for this weekend's UFC card. All right, let's talk fighter bonuses. As I said, uh, Eddie Wineland took a fight bonus. Felice Herrick took a bonus. And fight of the night went to Jason Knight and Jim Allers. Um, $50,000 were handed out to each of these guys. So uh, congrats for an extra, extra bit of money in your wallet. Now to switch gears. Got to talk about Brock Lesnar, of course. Brock continues to be in the news for a multitude of reasons. Obviously, we are waiting to see how the other, quote-unquote, other shoe drops regarding the PED uh, testing that, obviously, he failed. And, of course, the commentary from Randy Orton on Sunday was interesting. And, of course, his match with Randy Orton during SummerSlam. And, of course, Mark Hunt, which I'm going to get into uh, not not happy with Brock, but it gets crazier. Uh, Brock Lesnar is not going to be uh, receiving any punishment from WWE for his failed drug tests. Uh, spokesman, a spokesman for WWE told TMZ Sports that only full-time members of the active roster are covered under the company's wellness policy. Since Lesnar wrestles part-time, he doesn't fit that criteria. So the reason why I wanted to share this with you is because it's, it's insane. And I'll tell you why. It wasn't that long ago that Billy Gunn was caught for using performance-enhancing drugs in a powerlifting competition. And, of course, he was suspended by the governing body, kicked out, and subsequently, shortly after... He was cut loose by WWE for, quote-unquote, that violation. Now, many people felt that that was a a bullshit termination, and the reason is because many people felt that Billy Gunn wasn't exactly wrestling every week. Uh, He was, I believe, a trainer in NXT at the time and not an active member of the roster. And the thing that gets me is that Brock Lesnar didn't fight in five years, comes in, chiseled out of granite, looks like the final boss in a game, um, 
everybody joked about that he was already on the sauce, you know, make make whatever, you know, jokes about it you wish. But the thing that gets me is that you're still participating in an athletic contest, obviously one that's heavily scripted, but WWE suspends people for quote unquote performance enhancing drugs on a pretty decent basis. Obviously, they pick and choose who they suspend. <clears throat> Randy Orton, we're looking at you versus, I don't know, Roman Reigns. But, you know, Brock Lesnar is exempt because he is not a full time wrestler. So, in, in saying this, I understand that they had to set, you know, issue a statement and acknowledge this. But they also pretty much said that if you are a part-time wrestler, you have carte blanche to do whatever you want, which explains, hate to say it, but when The Rock was filming Hercules and he came back to, to wrestle John Cena, that he looked like, like a completely different person. He looked like the dude that ate The Rock. Like it was, he didn't, he just, it was like a completely different human being. And obviously, you know, he was like, yeah, my training regimen for Hercules, blah, 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 blah. But this, this admission from the WWE shows that the part-time guys are not under the same, uh, you know, they're, they're not covered under the same umbrella as the rest of the roster. And of course you can make a case that says, yeah, well, they're part-time performers, whatever, but the whole point of testing for PEDs is for testing for PEDs, whether you're part-time or full-time should be irrelevant. If your name gets pulled out of the quota of, out of the proverbial hat, then you should be held accountable for whatever you have, whether it's positive or negative. You pass, you pass, you fail, you got to get suspended. I just, I just feel that WWE shot themselves in the foot by reacting so quickly had they said, um, you know, the findings of the United, you know, the USADA don't impact professional wrestling as we have our own guidelines for testing, it would have been a better response than pretty much saying, well, you know, if you're a part-time guy and you fucking juice, it's totally cool. Because that's, <laughs> you know, the short version is that's pretty much how they laid things out. Do I do I think it's right? Do I think it's wrong? It's it's up to interpretation. See, Brock Lesnar testing positive for PEDs, and you know it's it's a, it's a slap in the face to his opponent. Obviously, it's it's a slap in the face to the organization, especially because you know a third party uh, is is governing it. It's not like the UFC could have swept that under the rug. It's also you know like I said, it, it also hurts when it comes to his WWE role. And the reason I say that is because, you know, you could just as easily get an entire arena chanting steroids, you know, or you're going to have to have that be acknowledged in every piece of press and interview that you do. I mean, WWE having a little fun with it with Randy Orton, you know, it's 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 WWE getting in front of it so they don't have to deal with it much like they did with Roman. But still, I just felt that the response that was given um, you know, did did the organization harm? I'm going to be honest. I mean, they could have just as easily been, hey, we have our own testing. If he was found uh, guilty of using performance-enhancing drugs in the UFC, that's something that has to be handled between him and the organization. We have our own sh- testing guidelines, and, you know, we will, we will uh, adjust accordingly and test Brock at, at, at you know, 
sometime. And, and that'll be it. Even if you never test Brock Lesnar, no one will ever know that. But at least if you get in front of it in a way that says, hey, you know, he was found guilty or they found this in his system through that level of testing, you know, we test for this stuff too. We'll, you know, we'll test again, et cetera, et cetera. But just give yourself an answer that is a little bit safer than just, oh, well, he's not here all the time. So we don't know. It, it, um, it honestly didn't, it didn't do the organization any favors in my opinion. I think they should have just, they should have just left the shit alone. But I think that's also partially because they've, everybody's, every website and media outlet has been searching for a WWE soundbite with regards to Brock Lesnar. And, um, you know, it is what it is. I think it's, it's, it's a, it's a fucked up situation for, for all parties involved. Obviously the WWE has to deal with it. So it hurts for it hurts them, and you know UFC they've they've been getting hit left and right with guys pissing hot, and of course for Mark Hunt it's um, it's not pretty either, and that is um, that's something I want to talk about. Mark Hunt recently appeared on Ariel Helwani's MMA Hour, and to say that the uh, the 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 guy was pissed is putting it mildly. I want to take a couple of uh, a couple of excerpts to share with you. Uh, when asked about Brock Lesnar's cheating, I gotta I gotta read this to make sure I I convey the words correctly. He says, "Before the fight, I was assuming he was cheating. Look at him. There's no way that guy makes 265 pounds. The guy is a gimp. He's sticking needles in his ass like the rest of these cheaters. And the thing about that is, he's sitting here saying this is a fair place. Well, it's not fair." These guys are cheating and they should be in court for it. They should lose all their money if they're cheating because if I die in there, who's going to look after my family? That's corrupt shit. These motherfuckers should be penalized hard. Dirty, scummy, cheating scum. That's how that monkey won his world title. He didn't do it by doing it clean. He did it by cheating. Just like the rest of these cheaters. Strong words. When asked about his future with the UFC... I got to tell you, he didn't mince words either. He said, I'll go work for some, I'll go work somewhere else. Like I said, I don't give a shit if we've got to sue their asses. Well, then fuck you. You're going to get sued. You scummy cunts. <laughs> the problem is everyone these days, man, I want to get into the UFC. Fuck the UFC. You're shit. You motherfuckers don't look after anybody. End quote. <laughs> he then adds, We'll let this fucking white piece of shit fucking stick needles in his ass and say, oh, he's going to take us all the way to the fucking bank. Let's give him fucking millions of dollars and not worry about this motherfucker. His words, not mine. You know what? Fuck that and fuck your shit company. Look at that for a contract. You can sue me on that, motherfuckers. He then added, people are scared for years because the company's going to get them. Well, fuck the company. They don't give shit about you. They don't give a shit about you or anyone else. If I walk away now, I don't care. I walk away knowing that I haven't cheated to get in this spot. I can keep my head up and say, you know, I might have to make a lot of different sacrifices to change the way things are, but so be it. That's fine. At least I knew that I went to the top and all you find at the top are dirty fucking scummy cheaters and a company that's going to help them do it. I'll be comfortable with that. There's no way I even worry about that. You get told that it's a clean sport and people are testing. They're doing this and that. That's fine. You're doing all that testing, but what penalties are these monkeys giving them? 
You're not giving them no penalties at all. USADA, fucking NASA, whatever the fuck they are. What penalties are they giving them? Nothing. They're just saying, oh, hey, we caught this guy cheating and he has to give us all his money. What the fuck should you get? Hey, we caught this guy. Uh, He goes, what the fuck should you get? Why should they get that shit? They're not the ones who lost. They're not the ones who had their brand go down. I didn't say anything when I beat the other two guys who I fought who were cheating and probably the rest of the other cheaters that I fought. But at the end of the day, enough is enough. You know what? I gotta, I gotta agree with where Mark Hunt is coming from because when he fought Bigfoot Silva and after that it came out that Bigfoot Silva was also using PEDs, it really, it's, it's a frustrating thing. And, you know, in, in the Bigfoot Silva fight, I, you know, that's a fight that honestly took years off those guys' lives. Because if you watch that fight, it was a violent, brutal, and bloody affair. And to, to Mark Hunt's point, the brand that he's established took damage because when he lost to Brock, they're like, oh, you know, Mark Hunt fucking guy is, you know, a knockout artist comes in here and beats, gets beat up by a guy who just got off his couch after being on it for five years. Obviously, I'm being facetious in saying that, but think about that. You know, you got to you got to look at it from that perspective, too. And whether Mark Hunt is, you know, completely clean or not, that's between Mark Hunt and, you know, his family and whoever else is on his management team. I mean, I look at Mark Hunt, I see a guy who is an incredibly talented fighter, incredibly dangerous, uh, doesn't need to go to the ground because nine times out of ten he puts you to sleep. So make of that what you will. And, you know, in Brock's case, will you know, if it's true that he was taking anti-estrogen drugs, then clearly, you know, the the smoking gun is there. Obviously, the... They, the athletic commission may reveal what it was that he tested positive for, or they may not. But I definitely can understand Mark Hunt's anger and frustration. I think that, you know, this guy comes in, he takes this fight, it's a huge payday. Brock Lesnar makes this astronomical amount of money. Then he comes out, you know, guilty. And the commission says, yeah, we're going to take whatever, a million dollars or $500,000. And that's your fine. And it's true, that's that's your fine, but to his point, it's like, what does the guy who lost get? Nothing. You know, it's obviously the extreme case. What if he would have died out there, or what if he would have suffered some sort of, of career-ending injury in that fight, and then it comes out that Brock Lesnar cheated? I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's tough, man. It's tough from both sides of the coin. Obviously, like I, I've said before, you know, if everybody's on the sauce, and it's a level playing field, but if some guys are on the sauce and some guys aren't, then obviously... Make of that what you will. You know, Mark Hunt is, this guy is smoldering, smoldering right now. And obviously the UFC is kind of tiptoeing around it, not really trying to give too much commentary on the situation for obvious reasons. But this is definitely something that's going to come to a head. I think that it's only going to get uglier with Mark Hunt. I think he's going to uh, be very vocal and incredibly critical about the organization because of the way uh, that this is played out for him. And, um, you know, we're going to be watching it very closely. I, it's it, Like I said, it's been, it's been a bad situation all around. I mean, the John Jones thing, obviously, huge blow to the organization, huge blow to, to John Jones as a fighter. Uh, Brock Lesnar, too, because it's like, you know, his his image has been tarnished. I mean, whether people choose to 
fully get on board with that or not. It's always one of those things where you look at him, he's a freakish athlete. He is. I mean, I'm not taking that away from him. He's a, he's a monstrous human being. But when you got your, you know, when you got the WWE saying that, you know, he's not, he's not subjected to those same tests as everyone else because he's a part-timer, it, it raises a lot of interesting questions. That's all I'm saying. Um, we're going to be monitoring the story, obviously, because this is, this is a lot bigger than PEDs. This is, um, you know, the USADA fighters and, you know, just the organization as, as a whole being dragged through the, the meat grinder. So I'm definitely going to be watching this very closely. Uh, if anything else happens with Mark Hunt, obviously, I will share it with you guys on future episodes. Another bit of interesting news with regards to PEDs I wanted to talk about is uh, Westland, Oregon's bad guy, Chael Sonnen. Uh, Chael has kind of opened up a possibility of going back to the UFC and fighting. Um, MMA Junkie reports that Chael was tested twice by the USADA recently, and a UFC official said that Sonnen asked to be entered into the testing pool. As he's considered, as he's considering a potential return. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Chael announced his retirement in 2014. Obviously, um, it was interesting because at the time, right before he quote unquote retired, he was supposed to fight Vanderlei, then Vitor, uh, but tested positive for five types of PEDs: um, clomiphene, HCG, human growth hormone. Uh, recombinant human erythropoietin. I'm probably bludgeoning that completely. Uh, anastrozole. Uh, just five PEDs he tested positive for. He subsequently retired. And he, like I said, um, served a two-year suspension. So Chael is contemplating dipping his toes in the per- proverbial uh, UFC return pool. Uh, is it is it worth seeing um, the bad guy back in the cage? It depends. I mean, you know, if the guy if the guy's cleaned himself up and he's coming into the into the fights clean, so be it. But again, like the Brock Lesnar situation, if you come in and you're quote unquote clean, and then you're not, it's gonna be egg on your face and the UFC's face. And of course, obviously, the case can be made that oh yeah, well the UFC you know, picks and chooses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the way I look at it is if the guy comes back and he can, he can generate some revenue and, and, and get some good fights that are worth checking out. So be it. But man, you had five types of PEDs in your system, Chael. You, you better fucking, you bet your piss better be clean from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed from the first test to the last test, because all it takes is one thing, one fucking thing. And I think that the commission's probably just going to throw the book at you and the UFC is going to be like, don't don't even talk to us about coming back. So we're going to see what happens. Uh, that story I'm going to monitor equally close only because this it's pretty big if Chael comes back, man. There's, there's a lot of interesting fights for him, whether it's at 185 or 205, especially because of the vacuum that's been created over the last couple of months with you know, marquee names uh, not being active. So we'll see what happens. Obviously, if if it turns out to be true, I will let you guys know. Two, three last bits of news to wrap things up. Uh, 
Kimbo Slice's son, Kevin Ferguson Jr., is stepping into the cage, according to MMA Junkie. Um, Kevin Ferguson Jr. will make his pro MMA debut at Bellator 160. As of right now, an opponent has not been announced, but he will be on the same card that Patricio Ferrer is going to be taking on Benson Henderson. And um, I, I think it's going to be interesting, man. People are going to want to see this fight uh, just to see if, if Kevin Ferguson Jr. is is just as dangerous as, old, as his old man was. Um, I kind of feel that, you know, kids coming in, it's his first fight, uh, first MMA fight on the big stage. Uh, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of people watching, a lot of expectations, and um, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta give Bellator props for you know trying to look out for 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 Kimbo's family and giving his son an opportunity. Um, I'm curious to see how that turns out. I'm also curious to see who his opponent is. Again, that uh, that debut is going to be at Bellator 160, August 26 at the Honda Center in Anaheim, California. The other bit of news is a, a re-signing in the UFC, and it is not a fighter, but an announcer. UFC's Joe Rogan has stated that he has re-signed with the UFC for one more year. He uh, he broke the news on his podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience. He said, I was on the fence, man. I just do too much shit. I'm too fucking busy. I don't know if I'm doing myself or all the different things I do a disservice. I was real close to leaving. It was like either I'm just going to completely bail off of this or I'm going to figure it out. So there you have it. You're going to see Goldberg and Rogan side by side for at least one more year. I'm curious, if Joe Rogan were to leave, who do you think would be a fitting replacement? I'm going to actually post that in our Facebook group. Look for RageWorks on Facebook and you can join our group and see what you guys have to say. There's... I think there's a couple of decent guys that can get in there and, and do some great commentary. I mean, Frank Mir, I always felt, was an incredible color commentator and a guy who has said that he wanted to do more stuff behind the booth, uh, especially now with his um, you know PED issues that he's got to deal with. But I feel that once that's, that's resolved, I think he would be a, a good person to have in the booth. I honestly would even go as far as saying that Chael would be a good guy to have in the booth. He's colorful. He's... Um, He's entertaining, good at talking shit, and I think that he would be a, he would bring an interesting dynamic uh, to the commentary booth alongside Mike Goldberg. Uh, some people would say, you know, Kenny Florian or John Anik, but I think that what makes the the Goldberg Rogan duo so good is the fact that you know they play off of each other very well when when Goldberg is in botching certain things, and um, I think you need somebody that's you know. To, to use a cliched term, colorful and um, entertaining. And I think if if anybody were to take that job, you know, Chael, Chael definitely has the has the chops to to meet that. That's for sure. But we'll see what happens. We got one more year with Rogan and Goldberg and then we'll you know, we'll revisit that later on. Last thing to close out our MMA segment this week is, of course, my pickums for UFC 201 this Saturday. Uh, the prelims start on Fight Pass at 6.30. Um, then you got your televised prelims on Fox Sports 2 at 8. And then your main card on pay-per-view at 10 o'clock. Um, I'm going to give a couple of my picks. The other picks, of course, I will do on Instagram. So keep an eye out for that at RageWorks on Instagram. Uh, I'll go with the prelims. Ryan Benoit, Freddie Sarah. Um, this one can go either way. 
I, I've only seen a little bit of Freddie Sarah, uh, Ryan Benoit, same thing. Uh, I'm actually going to go uh, with the coin flip here, so to speak, and I'm, I'm going to go with Ryan Benoit on this one. Uh, Wilson Rice, Henry Sandoval, I'm going with Wilson Rice on this one. Ross Pearson, Jorge Masvidal is definitely a fight that has the potential to steal the show. Um, even though I like Ross Pearson, man, Masvidal is always just intense when he gets in there, so... Uh, I'm going with Jorge Masvidal on this one. Ed Herman, Nikita Krylov. Um, I like Ed Herman. I think he's 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 always a fighter that's that's worth watching, and it's going to be the the main event for the prelims. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the uh, with the favorite and go with Ed Herman. On the pay per view side of things, Ian McCall, Justin Scoggins. I'm a big fan of Uncle Creepy. Can't root against him, so I'm going with Ian McCall. Eric Perez, Francisco Rivera. Uh, going with Eric Perez on that one. Matt Brown, Jake Ellenberger can go either way. Matt Brown is is a beast, but Ellenberger is as well when he is dialed in. Ugh. As much as I hate to to do it, I gotta I gotta pick. I'm gonna go with Matt Brown on this one. Uh, on the ladies, Carolina Kowalskowitz taking on Rose Namajunas. Big fan of Thug Rose. I think she has the potential to go very far in this sport. Uh, incredibly marketable. And super dangerous, both on the feet and on the ground. Uh, Carolina Kowalskowitz, no slouch either. This fight can go either way. Many people are saying this is a title qualifier. I am. I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm gonna go with Rose on this one, and not by much. Not even because I'm I'm a fan of hers, but not by much because Carolina Kowalskowitz is a dangerous fighter in her own right. Uh, the main event. Tyron Woodley, T. Wood, taking on Robbie Lawler, the ruthless one. Uh, I like Tyron Woodley. I think he's 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 a solid fighter, great wrestler. Uh, had you know a great run in Strike Force, but you know ruthless Robbie Lawler. This guy, this guy gets into wars for fun, and when he gets in there, he it's always a bloody affair. I think that you know they, the in terms of wrestling, obviously T. Wood has the better wrestling pedigree. But I believe Robbie Lawler, being the veteran, is going to find an effective way to utilize that, to neutralize that, and he's going to use the uh, the sprawl and brawl to really take it to T Wood. And I'm going to go with Tyron Woodley, uh, not beating Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler retaining, and um, you know that's that's pretty much it. I think um, with regards to Robbie Lawler, that's a guy that. You you gotta you gotta shoot that guy. You gotta come in there and, and and you gotta have cinder blocks for hands that are even bigger cinder blocks than the than the hands that he has because he's he's a warrior. And it's funny because you know he was he was a heavily touted fighter, went to Strike Force, reinvented himself when he came into the UFC, and he's been on a tear ever since. And I think um I think it's gonna continue. I think T Wood is not gonna be able to to stand and trade with him, especially if he gets into the deep water. I think T Wood definitely has the potential to to bully Lawler a little bit, but I think in terms of of striking and just pure punching power, uh, Lawler definitely has more of a puncher's chance in that regard. That's for sure. So Robbie Lawler is my pick to retain. Anyway, with that, I am going to close out the MMA segment. For this week's episode, let's switch gears and jump into some wrestling, shall we?
to many people, especially over the last couple of days, the Raw this past Monday was considered the gold standard. And it was, you know, considered one of the best Raws in quite some time. And while I agree it was good, there's there's a lot, there's a strong case that can be made that there's been, you know, greater episodes of Raw. But before we get into that, gotta talk about Battleground, which kind of set the standard in the post-draft WWE and I gotta say, man, Battleground for a pay-per-view that I look at as a, you know, a throwaway pay-per-view had some really, really good stuff, man. Really good matches. I don't even wanna, I didn't even wanna call, you know, look for the quote-unquote the bugs in this one. Only because there was, there was so many good things and not any genuinely ugly or bad things. I mean, you know, the kickoff, the kickoff card with the Usos, Taking on uh, Brizongo was, you know, it was, it was what it was. It was an opener. I felt that I feel that the Usos have fallen off quite a bit when they're on the kickoff show. But in any case, it was, um, you know, it was it was fair for what it was. It just had no buildup whatsoever. But what can you do? Um, Sasha Banks taking on Dana Brooke and Charlotte. Her mystery partner uh, was Bailey. And, of course, many of us thought that, oh, uh, you know, who's it going to be from Raw? Uh, it can't be Bailey because she wasn't drafted. Well, it was Bailey, And I got to say a couple of things. First off, when Bailey comes up to the main roster, it is going to be a problem. If you wanted to create a, quote-unquote, John Cena for the women's division, that person, the person to carry that moniker would be Bailey. Simple as that. Now, you know, Slick is saying it was only going to be Bailey. I don't agree, only because a mystery opponent could have been anybody. It could have it been Nia Jax, you know, who was recently drafted. The reason I say that is because there was never a specification as to where her partner was going to come from. It could have been somebody completely new that they wanted to surprise everyone with. Of course, that wasn't the case, but, you know, I... I mentioned last week when I did the show that it could be Bailey, but it could not. It's all about what creative wanted to do because they never, nobody ever really elaborated on whether it was going to be an active member of the roster or from NXT. They just said it would be a mystery partner. And as such, it could have been anybody. Like I said, it could, it could have been Nia Jax. You could have brought Nia Jax up and had her be a face for, for that match. It could have been fucking Eva Marie, you know? I mean, not that it was because she was drafted to SmackDown, but Again, I'm giving, you know, the 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 uh, the different scenarios here. the The match itself was tremendous. Great work from all four ladies. Uh, it really shows you the the incredible chemistry that Sasha Banks, Bailey, and Charlotte have. Even Dana Brooke really stepped it up, which I think is is really a, a testament to what I what I always say, which is iron sharpens iron. You put good wrestlers in there. Um, you know, with good opponents, you're gonna get you're gonna get something special, and I think that this was one of those instances. And again, you know, the reaction that Bailey got, the pop that she got when that music hit, and the little blowy dudes came out of the fucking fans, it was it was amazing. It was really really cool to see, um, you know, a, a female a female performer get that kind of a reaction. I mean, Sasha's got reactions on par with that, but 
the Bailey pop was woo. <laughs> it was it was it was definitely really really good. Uh, Rusev's match with Zack Ryder. I mean, you know, many of us wanted Zack Ryder to win, obviously, because you know the new era. But I don't think that Zack Ryder, you know, especially with Mojo on the raw on the roster, um, you know, I you know with Mojo on the roster, I didn't see Zack Ryder winning the belt every anytime soon. Uh, Slick says, "I respect your opinion, but I felt I knew it would be Bailey, and that crowd did too." Dude, everybody expects that. Like I said, you know, I I said it could be Bailey. It could not. It's you know, I'm not I'm not gonna have a, a pissing contest about it. You know, it was Bailey. Everybody was happy. You knew it. Hooray! You know, not trying to clown you, but just all right. You knew it was Bailey. Could have been anybody. Could have been fucking Vicky Guerrero, the Brooklyn Brawler in a dress. Santina Santina Morella. Oh, God, was that bad? Anyway, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens' match, of course, was another classic between these two longtime rivals. I hope that this match kind of writes off any any more encounters between these two superstars. And the reason I say this is because when you look at the Kevin Owens-Sami Zayn relationship going all the way back to Ring of Honor... Like I've said, Ring of Honor did an, a, a really, really long program between these two guys, and we saw some amazing wrestling, amazing storytelling, amazing interviews and skits um, and interactions between the two of them. And of course, WWE saw that, and they knew that they had lightning in a bottle with those two guys, and it's great. But I also feel that they've they've taken too much advantage of it. So... At this point, you kind of just want to send them on their own way for a little bit, keep them separate, let them, you know, work on their own feuds, maybe come back, run that back. You know, I've said this before, you know, some wrestlers and their opponents, their futures are intertwined forever. When you look at The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin, you see that. Um, You know, when you look at Brock Lesnar, Kurt Angle, you saw that back then. Uh, the Rock and Triple H to a degree, Mick Foley and Triple H and Mick Foley and The Rock as well. You know, there's certain guys that they're just defined by the guys that they that they wrestle over the years because you know that when you put those two individuals together, you're gonna get something special. Uh, you know, Hulk and Andre, uh, Hulk and Macho Man Randy Savage, of course, uh, Macho Man and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Ric Flair and Sting. You know, you look at certain certain individuals and, and these opponents, and when you look at them, you say to yourself, "Man, I could watch you know the the, the quote unquote fight forever chance." You know, those are that's that's one of those things where you see it and you say to yourself, "There's something here that's bigger than just a match. It's a chemistry. It's a it's just a, a, a something that clicks from bell to bell, both between segments and just the storytelling itself." You see that, and I think that. With Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, these guys can fight five years from now, and you'll get something just as exciting and just as good as you got this past Sunday. But you can't have too much of a good thing because it wears thin, and I think the the fans and maybe even the performers to a point had reached a point where it's like, all right, already. We fought on NXT. We fought on Raw. We fought on pay-per-view. 
We fought in the ladder match. We got it. We don't like each other. Again, do I think that do I think that it's going to come back and and you know, we'll see it again? Sure. Hopefully not for for the foreseeable future, but either way the match itself was tremendous. Uh an amazing performance by both individuals. Kevin Owens is another guy that you got to look at when it talk when you talk about I need a, a flagship heel for my company or or you know a, a guy who I'd invested. I had this conversation with Jimbo Slice uh, a couple of days ago, and I was like, "Hey, you know, if you could, if you could have your guy, the person that would that would carry your brand, who would it be?" And and you know his his you know first response, which echoed mine, was Seth Rollins. You know, you look at Seth Rollins, the guy's a complete wrestler, an entertainer, good on the mic, uh, probably one of the best heels they got on the roster. Kevin Owens, again, a guy who has all the tools, is not the quote unquote WWE look, but he, you know, he's got an incredible gas tank to go out there and have amazing matches, always innovating when he's in the ring, uh, tells compelling stories, sometimes without even having to cut a promo. And I see that with Kevin Owens. And, and to a point, I see it with Sami Zayn. I think with Sami Zayn, you're, you're always going to see that, that Daniel Bryan mystique because it's the easy thing to do, you know, the underdog. But I think Sami Zayn has all the tools to be a marketable performer uh, in the future as a champion, I think that, you know, you're taking a guy who has international appeal, is recognized around the world, and has all the tools. I mean, he really does. Is his promo work the best? No. But it's something that, with time, he could probably grow into. Natalia and Becky Lynch was about what you would expect. Um, you know, I felt that Natalia's work as a heel has been lackluster. Probably one of the only low points, in my opinion, um, on this on this pay per view, only because this feud was kind of just thrown together. I I know Becky Lynch; they're trying to find something to do with her. But Becky Lynch is another wrestler who is incredibly talented. Her matches on NXT are a testament to that, and I think she's one of those those individuals that you can build as as a face for women's wrestling on SmackDown. And hopefully they'll do that. I mean, you know, it's it's quote unquote the new era, a term that is thrown ar- around quite a bit. And I can only hope that she can she can be a, a a good part of that because she's she is a complete performer, another superstar with international appeal. I I just feel that Natalia, I understood you kind of wanted to do that and you crafted this narrative, but I just I just don't feel Natalia is an effective heel. I think Natalia is easier. I, I think it's easier to watch her work when she's a face, but her heel work just leaves a lot to be desired. That's all I'm saying. Uh, the Miz and, and Darren Young ended in a double countout. I mean, you know, you can't you can't throw it any any further to the left, so to speak. I know you're trying to build Darren Young and quote unquote make him great again. You also don't want to hurt the Miz, who's been a pretty viable, you know, IC champion. Uh, he's he's done quite a bit for himself, The Miz, over the last couple of months, just becoming a more well-rounded performer. I remember I remember when The Miz came up and they put him with John Morrison as Eminem. Um, you know, it was... I felt that that was when The Miz, in my opinion, had peaked as a performer. And he did, to a point, as a tag team performer. But in terms of just being a single superstar... Uh, he continues to improve every week. I think the addition of Maurice has done a lot to to just make him more viable. You know, it's it's easy, obviously, with with Maurice on his arm, and you know she's a heat magnet, a natural one, 
And um, I think for the Miz, it's it's been a really uh, a really good couple of months for him. I can only hope that he continues to evolve his character and become better. The only thing about the Miz that bothers me always is his finisher. I always think of Jeff Jarrett's stroke, the stroke finisher that he used to do. Um, and, and, and even that finisher was fucking terrible. I think that one of the things that the Miz needs is a better finisher. I, I know they tried to do it with the figure four and, um, you know, it, it kind of worked, but it, he, he definitely needs something, something better, something that could get the crowd into it. I mean, the, the skull crushing finale is just ugh, definitely not good. Um, Enzo, Kaz, and John Cena against the club. Obviously, the club being broken up during the draft. I kind of felt that they were somebody was going to eat the pinfall in that match, and it had to be them. Um, Enzo and Kaz, obviously, they're continuing to be booked strong. And John Cena and AJ Styles, their fates are intertwined, at least through SummerSlam. So, you know, the club definitely was not coming out of this, the victors. But the match itself was good. Uh, good storytelling from all participants uh, as usual, Enzo, face in peril, seems to be the name of the game, but um, does a good job, man. Enzo on the mic, and even as the face in peril, his wrestling, eh. But in terms of just selling a match, bringing an energy to a match, he's he's got that in spades. Uh, the triple threat match for the WWE title, Ambrose defeated Reigns and Rollins, uh, of course, securing the pinfall on Roman Reigns. Everybody... Who, who really knows their wrestling said that Reigns was probably going to eat the pin uh, just because, obviously, he's on the shit list, which um, I want to I get into in a moment. But as a whole, uh, for a quote-unquote throwaway pay-per-view, Battleground was solid. Solid. Couple of hiccups, but nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. Nothing super, super terrible, super, uh, you know detrimental to to the enjoyment of the card could it have been better in some respects sure but we're we're all we can all pick at it and find our own flaws but it was it was damn good as for raw man there's there's so much about raw that that was good and you know let's let's talk about it let's talk about the bugs when it comes to the bad squash matches I have a love-hate relationship with them. We saw Nia Jax in a squash match. Braun Strowman, the new Braun Strowman in a squash match. I understand what you're trying to accomplish. I get it. But how how necessary is it? I mean, for Nia Jax, we get it. You know, she's a bigger she's a bigger woman in the on the roster. But I think that Nia Jax has done enough and has made enough of a, of an impact in NXT. That she could come up to the main roster, have a decent and competitive match, and be fine. Do I think that the squash match was completely terrible? No, because I understand in terms of the narrative, what's being established. Hey, you know, we want to get these these two individuals over as as a, as forces in the business, you know, on, on the roster, and that's fine. I just, you know, two squash matches in a night. You could you could have had Nia Jax come out there and have a decent match with. You know, Diona Perrazzo or or, you know, any any of the NXT women that that were up there and at least have a decent match. The the, the glorified squash, eh, you know, it is what it is. And same thing with Strowman. The Strowman 
the Strowman thing, you know, he took on a guy who pretty much looked like uh, it's like a car salesman. Like, did they find this guy outside and just said, "Hey, throw on some trunks and go out there and have a match"? Because, man, it was it was it was to quote Jr. It was bowling shoe ugly. It was it really was. Like I said, I understand the narrative. I understand the squash to get him over. But big fucking guy, you don't you don't really need to do much to get him over except put him in there with somebody that'll make him look good. Squash matches, you don't really see a lot. And it's funny because a lot of times people, you know, a lot of wrestling insiders or, you know, websites that have inside track, they'll say, oh, yeah, you know, Braun Strowman, we haven't even scratched the surface on how good the guy is, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, great. Show us. Show us how, quote-unquote, good this guy is. Let's see it. Because all I've seen thus far is typical big man offense. And if if we had to look at any of the, quote-unquote, big guys on the roster, the best big guy on that roster is injured. And that's Luke Harper. Luke Harper is the complete package. He can He can wrestle. He can cut a good promo. He, he definitely has a presence, an aura around him that you're like, oh, shit. Now, Braun Strowman, again, he's got the look. He definitely looks the part of, of a guy who will crush your skull with one blow. But again, do we do we need that? Do we need the squashes for to establish that? No, I don't think so. The last thing that I just I just felt I just felt there was a a, a, a glaring a glaring overuse of, of pop culture relevance was fucking Pokemon all over Raw on Monday. We got it. WWE likes to take shit that's going on in the press and in the public and is the buzzword of the day and likes to do something with it. I got it. Totally cool with it. Did we need a bunch of shit happening? You know, our truth running around being a fool with Goldust. I understand Goldust is a gamer. It's pretty cool. One segment would have been fine. One. You could have got you could have got away with one, but just just beating it over the head. You know, we did it we did it be the uh the raw before the pay-per-view with, you know, the uh the New Day promo. And same thing. It's like I understand trying to be relevant, but come on. Just just scale it back a bit. You know, let's let's try and get through next next week's raw without you know, five Pokemon Go references. Please, please, let's let's not do that. You want to do something with Goldust and fucking R-Truth? I don't know. Let them wrestle, perhaps. You got three hours of television. Three. There's got to be a match you can put on that's somewhat entertaining. That's all I'm saying. Ah, the ugly. Cena... Uh, you know, I think um, I I, I want to say not to say that see the lack of Cena on Raw is detrimental because it wasn't, but you know the 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 two fatal four ways when you look at it, especially that second one, you're like, damn, you know, it, it almost felt like John Cena needed to be in this match, and I say this in a, you know as an ugly because when you look at it. You're so used to seeing John Cena on the flagship show, quote unquote, you know, the face that runs the place that you, 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 when you look at, you look at a show without him on it, you're like, damn, it's infinitely a better show. But in looking at both fatal four way matches, which, you know, were, were amazing. 
Um, a couple of things. Obviously, Balor's debut was was huge. Uh, just just tremendous. The fact that he won his match and went on to face Roman Reigns, who won his match, it, it showed you that WWE was willing to take risks. And I say this because had Cena been there, you know he would have been in the match. And who knows, maybe he would have been in the in the final, you know, to take on Roman or to take on Finn Balor. And maybe the end result would have been the same with Balor going on to SummerSlam. But not having John Cena, I say it's bad to a point, and this is why. It's bad because it's it, it breaks it breaks convention. You know, John Cena is always the safe pick. He can always go out there and have a good match. He can cut a decent promo. He can he can you know rile up the crowd. Not having John Cena is is good, and and that's why I said you know it's bad on one side, good on the other because you remove the crutch. You remove the easy out, and it forces creative to, I don't know, be creative. And they did that. We got two amazing Fatal 4-Ways. Um, they, they were tremendous. The, all the participants were, they meshed well together, and it worked. And the end result was a great surprise. So that definitely was a good thing. The other thing I got to talk about, um, the Shining Stars, man, if... You know, I was talking about this with Josh on on the drive home today, and we were talking about the fact that, you know, the Shining Stars come out and, you know, they're playing the, the foreign villains. And that's the problem because, you know, obviously many of us that pick up a pick up a, uh, a history book know that Puerto Rico is part of the United States. But by having them come out and, and you know, using the, the foreign heel gimmick, you know, we Puerto Ricans are just getting booed, <laughs> and um, obviously, not, I'm not saying this as a as a as a broad stroke, but just in 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 this perspective, I'm like, damn, you know, you're booking these guys like foreign heels, which is, I mean, it's it's weak, it's weak stuff, you know, that you do. I I, I take you back to Eddie Guerrero and Chavo. Sure, they they had you know they'd come out in a low rider. And, you know, they would have that West Coast, the West Coast vibe. But at the end of the day, what sold them as performers were their tactics and their wrestling, whether they were heels or faces. At the end of the day, it was the complete package that told the story. The lazy uh, foreign heel booking is, you know, you could get away with it with Rusev for a, to a point, but... You know, with the Shining Stars, it's like, all right, we got it. You know, Puerto Rico is paradise. All right. You know, come to Puerto Rico where you can fucking get sunshine, sand, and the Zika virus. Like, come on. It, it's it's lazy. And it's funny because I'm sure Vince was like, yep, they're going to go out there and they're going to play the foreign heels. But Vince, Puerto Rico's part of the United States. No, it's not, damn it. Get out of here. Like, I just I just feel that that's lazy. It was lazy, and I mean, you know, Enzo and Kaz doing their their shtick, it's cool, but being interrupted by by the Goya brothers and having those guys lose, and it just it just didn't do anything for anyone. It was like, all right, you got Enzo and Kaz on TV, and hey, we're gonna do something with uh, the with, with the Goyas, with the Shining Stars, and you know, as somebody who's was Puerto Rican, I, you know, you want you want to see your people succeed. It, it, you know, it's 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 fucked up, but it's like, damn, you know, I don't 
the only decent Puerto Rican wrestler, and I mean legitimate Puerto Rican wrestler who who was represented that actually did something of substance was it, it's like Savio Vega, and I'm talking about on WWE television. I'm not talking about a, you know in the wrestling business because there's there's plenty of great you know Puerto Rican wrestlers on on the independents and in other promotions. I'm talking about in the WWE. Savio Vega is probably the most well-known Puerto Rican wrestler. Him and the hairy guy that was with him. What the fuck was his name? The dude with the hair shirt that used to be with him as part of the uh, Los Boricuas. Uh, was it Eddie Perez? I think it was. Damn, I got to do my homework. In any case, you know, you look at you look at Primo and Epico. Those guys, they come from a from an amazing background. You know, Carlos Colon, Carlito. You know, you see, you, you see that, and then you say to yourself, there's such history, such rich history there, and you're not leveraging that. You're not doing that because you're using the easy foreign heel crutch. And I felt that was, it was, it was, an, it was an ugly match. It really was. It did nobody any favors. Um, same thing with the, uh, the New Day's Bootios announcement. Obviously, uh, San Diego Comic-Con, the New Day announced that Bootios was going to be a real serial sold by uh i believe it's going to be an fye so you know definitely really cool to see that i think they're going to do they're going to do well with that um you know having the club come out and, and ruin quote unquote ruin the celebration taking aj away from the club obviously it's easy to see that maybe maybe the balor club will become a real thing which you know obviously at, it, it's you, you can see it a mile away but if they don't pull the trigger on it they're better off. I think that that Anderson and Gallows can really do something in the tag team division, but you have to, you got to let those guys go out there. You have to let them go out there and work because, you know, when they were in new Japan and ring of honor, you know, wherever they went, they always, they, they had really, really good matches, really solid matches. And they did a lot. You know, the bullet club faction was, was a big thing. And obviously you try to, kind of recreate that with the club, but not really. It was like, all right, we got to do something with AJ to, to really make him a heel. Oh, let's just put him with these two guys. Cause they were together. They were, but the dynamic between AJ and the club is a lot different than the dynamic between Balor and Gallows and Anderson, because those guys legit came up together. When you look at the original bullet club and, and the members, you know, it was, uh, you know, Gallows, Anderson, uh, Devitt, Tamatonga. And, and you look at that and you're like, yeah, and uh, Bad Luck Fale. You look at that and you're like, man, those that's a badass group. Not to take anything away from the WWE version, but WWE's version, like anything else, feels incredibly watered down. Which is the case when, when they tried to recreate the NWO, it, it's same deal. You know, it's just you don't you don't get the same the same feeling. You don't get the same presence as, you know, the 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 original incarnation. Now, again, can we see Balor and Gallows and Anderson together? Absolutely. It's a it's a no brainer to do that. But I think allowing Balor to stand on his own and allowing Guns and Gallows to stand on their own. And and I'm so used to just calling them that, even though it's Anderson and Gallows, I'm, you know, you got to let those guys carve out their own niche and really put some work in, especially for, for Gallows and Anderson. Those guys 
they need help. They need a good feud. They need to showcase their skills in some good matches. And, I mean, don't get me wrong. The New Day definitely have the tools to make that happen. But you got, you got, you got your work cut out for you because right now you've, the, the only association people have with them has been AJ's lackeys if they're not seasoned wrestling fans that know the New Japan product. That's all I'm saying. Let's get into the other good points. Like I said, the two fatal four-way matches, Balor's debut, all good. The women's title match. Wow. We went from a stellar, stellar tag team match on Sunday to Sasha Banks and Charlotte tearing the house down on Monday with the end result being Sasha Banks being crowned uh, WWE Women's Champion. It was, it was a great story. It was a great way to pull the trigger. I thought they were going to pull the trigger for Sasha at SummerSlam, given, obviously, you know, her amazing match with Bayley that happened at NXT, you know, during SummerSlam. Um, again, definitely a cool way to, to really top off what was a really good Raw. Like I said, Balor winning, uh, it, was, it was just, it was well executed. Like I said, small things, it wasn't completely flawless. I do... I didn't want to put this particular thing in the in the you know in, in bad or ugly or good, but you know admonishing Roman Reigns the continued uh, you know shitting on him we're going to be seeing that for quite a bit obviously you know he he ate the pinfall Balor beat him clean Stephanie McMahon berated him at the start of of the show it's it, you know Roman's going to have to eat a lot of shit man and you know it's it's good and it's bad I think. Um, you know, I think Roman Roman's going to be one of those guys that he's going to be, you know, he's going to he's going to be stuck in mid card hell for a little bit. But I got to tell you, and I've said this before, it's not a uh, it's not a bad thing. It is not a bad thing. I feel that it was a blessing in disguise, and I'll tell you why. Roman Reigns came into this company, and you know they put him with the Shield, and as a member of the Shield, he was cheered. People loved him. They thought he was awesome. They're like, oh, man, this guy's, this guy's the truth. And then, you know, when they broke them up, everybody looked at Rollins and Ambrose, and they were like, wow, these guys are good. And then they look at Roman, and they're like, ah, this guy's good. But then the WWE machine got behind Roman, and they're like, oh, Roman is great. Roman's going to be our guy. Roman's going to be the guy, and blah, blah, blah. And, we're, and, and they tried to carve out a blueprint for him that – would have, you know, put him in the same level as guys like The Rock and, you know, other countless superstars before him. But here's the thing. If you put Roman in that position and you do so with the expectation that he's going to become the guy, then the correct way to execute was to build him up gradually. You look at certain performers on WWE's roster. When you look at them, you you go, "Damn, that guy! That guy's a a main eventer. That guy's the future. That guy has the tools. That guy has the complete package." I hate to say it, but I look at Roman Reigns and I just see an athletic Samoan guy that's related to The Rock. Not that that's a bad thing, but do I see him being the the guy that carries the company on his back into the the next millennium? No. I do not. And the reason is because The Rock, when you look at The Rock, The Rock wasn't the most amazing wrestler. Wasn't by any stretch of the imagination. But he had 
a, a charisma, a delivery about him that made him just head and shoulders above a lot of superstars that were, you know, looked at as main eventers. There was always something. Him, Stone Cold Steve Austin, you look at those two guys, and they are, you know, guys that were built up gradually. If you remember, Stone Cold Steve Austin was part of the Hollywood Blondes in in WCW, then Stunning Steve Austin, Um, then the Ringmaster with the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, then Austin 316, you know, obviously that, and then Austin versus McMahon, and the rest is history. But again, he wasn't, you know, nobody looked at Stone Cold and they were like, yo, you're going to be our guy in six months. You will be champion. No, it was gradual. It was piece by piece, match by match. I see title here, there, slowly, slowly getting him there. So when he finally reached the, the top of the mountain, when he finally grabbed the brass, win- the, the, the brass ring, so to speak, you saw a crowd unanimously behind him. You look at The Rock, same deal, man. You look at, you know, blue chipper Rocky Maivia. Then he joined the nation. Then he took over the nation. And then, you know, the rest is history. Roman Reigns didn't have that. He was the muscle in a group. And then he went from being the muscle to being champion. There was no buildup. There was no gradual. You didn't even allow. You didn't even have time to build rivals beyond the shield. Which again, Roman Reigns' future will forever be intertwined with Ambrose and Rollins because those guys, they they brought something out of him that was good. But in terms of him as a character, it needs he needs time. You gotta you gotta. You know, you got to walk before you run. And I think that in his case, you know, and and I don't blame him at all. The guy punches the clock and does his job. Is he charismatic? Eh, debatable. Is he he the Mr. Five Moves of Doom? Absolutely. But I will say, over the last couple of months, he's, he's got better in the ring. He's got better. A little tighter, works a little better. Whether it's it's because of the alleged usage of Adderall remains to be seen, but um, I, I think you know I think Roman's in a situation where he can bounce back. But if I were creative, I would take my time in rebuilding uh, Roman Reigns. You know, I really would. I would take my time in rebuilding him. Maybe you know an IC title program, maybe a tag team run, maybe you know maybe have him do something with the Usos. Maybe, maybe turn him heel. I mean, you know, obviously that's the that's the easy answer. Turn him heel. But the thing about that is that turning him heel creates its own its own set of problems because people are booing him now because they just hate him as a character. They hate him. You know, if they were booing him as a heel, they wouldn't boo him as a heel because he's a good heel. They'd boo him because they think he sucks. I mean, you know, some people, they do the cool thing, like with John Cena, and you boo him because, you know, it's a cool thing to do. But with Roman, I just feel that the crowd genuinely just doesn't like him. To a point. I mean, obviously, there's probably some people that are, it's trendy to boo him. But, you know, he's just, he's just the guy punching a clock right now, doing his job. Hey, you're going to be the guy. Okay. Not the guy. 
Definitely not. It, honestly, if I were to, you know, if I were booking and rebuilding, I would probably keep Roman away from the main event for maybe a year. At least a year. Maybe, maybe even a year and a half. Get him into a good program for the IC title. Create a good rivalry with someone. Whoever it may be, just a really good rivalry. And build from there. I mean, what you did with, what they did with Balor on Monday was good. You know, Roman post match, he had his little interview. He was like, man, I respect that dude. And he, you know, if he beats, he beats Rollins, I, I wanna, I wanna have another match. And I think that that's a good, a good way to A, create a rival. B, you can use that as the, as the seeds for, you know, maybe the basis for, for, for some heelish tactics. Like, man, you know, I, I, I respected you and the work you did. And then you come here and you think that just because, you know, you, you put some face paint on that you, that you can get a title opportunity, you know, you could build off of that narrative, you know, and then you can say, I busted my ass. I've been here, you know, fighting my brothers, uh, you know, doing stuff for the fans and the fans don't even care about me. You know, you can build off of that. But again, gradual baby steps, build it out. Take your time. Don't just, oh, we're going to strap a rocket on this guy and right to the main event. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Very, very few guys can go from NXT to main eventer and it and it look believable. Can Balor be that guy? Maybe. Possible. He could be the first. Um, Shinsuke Nakamura? Possible. He could be another viable candidate. Samoa Joe? Same thing. You, you know, Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens is probably one of the few guys that if he went from NXT to the main roster to champion, it would make, it would be believable because he honed his craft in NXT, won the title there. Came up to the main roster, worked incredible U.S. title programs with with John Cena. Later on, IC title programs. Again, gradual. You know the guy's proven himself time and time again. Boom, main event. The only other guy, maybe Bray Wyatt. If you're trying to create this this enigma, this unstoppable force, maybe that that could work too. But you you know. I didn't understand at the time what made Roman Reigns so special. I mean, being related to The Rock, being Samoan, being good-looking, having long hair, great, tremendous, fantastic. Enough to make you a main eventer, enough to make you be the guy on the on the posters and the cereal boxes and, you know, live on on, you know, Kelly and Michael or whatever or Conan or Jimmy Kimmel. No. Not the guy. Not the guy. If if I had to, you know, like like my conversation with Jimbo Slice, if I had to take anybody, Rollins, Owens, Cesaro, I got I I'd say Cesaro for from an international perspective, guy is, you know, world renowned, knows five languages, uh just needs needs a little seasoning on the microphone, but is wrestling top notch. Um, you know, those are guys you could build with. Those are guys you could run with, rock with, do something good with. Roman, not yet. Hate to say it, but not yet. Anyway, those were the bugs of of Monday Night Raw. On the SmackDown side of things, man, were there were they some some crazy things? Let's uh, let's get into the bad. Uh, Becky Lynch and Natalia getting run back. 
Obviously, uh, Becky Lynch got the win with the disarmor, but then all the SmackDown divas came out, and when it ended, it ended with Eva Marie being introduced by, like, the movie phone guy, and comes out there, disrobes, everybody, you know, crowd goes mild, people pretty much boo her out of the building, and then they cut to commercial, and I'm like, all right, maybe they'll come back and there'll be something else. Nope, nothing. It's like, I'm going to interrupt you, I'm going to interrupt you, I'm going to interrupt you, and yeah, very, very poorly, poorly executed segment, in my opinion. Not good. Bad. Um, Rhino's re-debut. I, I, you know, I thought that they were doing something really cool with Heath Slater. I kind of like the whole unsigned uh, thing where he's just coming in, interrupting every week. But bringing Rhino in, it's like, all right, Rhino. I'm like, okay. Don't get me wrong. I like Rhino. He's awesome. You know, he's always... Uh, the, when somebody knows how to sell the gore, it looks tremendous. Uh, good, good, steady guy that can probably hold down a mid-card. Obviously, they'll probably never let him near a big title, but still, a good guy to have, good worker, capable of being intense beyond measure. But um, it's like, all right, it's a new era. We got new talent, but Rhino, the best, you know, the, the hottest free agent. I'm like, really? Rhino? Again, not not shitting on Rhino, but just the way that the announcers tried to sell that and and Shane McMahon, uh, Shane McMahon, I'm like, eh, I don't know. I mean, they were kind of doing something special with Heath Slater, and then you just derailed it to uh, to use Heath Slater as the uh, the centerpiece for Rhino's re-debut. I don't know, man. I, I thought it was just, it was bad. Um, ugly. <laughs> the Miz TV segment. Ugh. With Randy Orton. Ugh. Just... Randy Orton, it was almost like Randy Orton went to the old Randy Orton that had, you know, 97% shoulder mobility. Uh, you know, very, you know, little jokey joke. It was, it was all right, I guess. I mean, you know, the, it, to put him in a meaningless match with The Miz, not even for the title, devalues the title. It's like, all right, Randy Orton, you got a match with Brock Lesnar. Why, why not challenge The Miz for the belt? Why not? Even even if it was just for the Miz to cheat or for there to be some short, sort of shenanigans to get a DQ, but at least make it value something, not just, uh, you know, I feel like having a warm-up match. You'll do. I'm like, really? Like, fuck, way to make the belt mean something. I, I just, I, I was not a fan. And I wasn't a fan of the Battle Royal. You know, I felt I felt that was ugly. And I'll tell you why, because it really showed you how small the SmackDown roster is. I'm like, really? It looks like there's six people in there. It really did. Like when they had the whole roster out there, it was a lot different than when they had the raw roster out there, which was, wow, that's a lot of people like the SmackDown roster. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. It looks like you only have like 10 people on the roster. Again, could they have padded it and thrown a couple of guys in there? You know, just one offs when people were out there. Sure. But it just, it just looked like it was, I don't like a few people. I I don't know. I just I just wasn't I wasn't happy with the presentation. Um, you know, I thought I thought it was good, but I just I wasn't happy with it. Uh, goods. Uh, let's talk about that. The return of Shelton Benjamin. Genuinely pumped for that. Couple of reasons. Obviously, with uh, 
American Alpha on the main roster. Uh, shades of the world's greatest tag team definitely are there in, in Chad Gable and Jason Jordan. Uh, Shelton Benjamin is an incredible athlete, an, uh, you know, a, a solid in-ring technician. Uh, Mike Work was always eh, questionable, but when you needed a guy for high spots and memorable moments, Shelton Benjamin was your guy. Later replaced by Kofi Kingston, but whatever. Um, Shelton Benjamin has the tools to come back and definitely disrupt uh, the you know the the makeup of WWE's mid card, and who knows, maybe even their main roster. It might be it might be the time. Who knows? But having American Alpha on SmackDown and seeing Shelton Benjamin come back, there's I'd love to see something because there's there's so many similarities between American Alpha and the world's greatest tag team at the time. And even if Shelton Benjamin came back and he's like, hey, man, you know, I was here. You guys remind me of me and 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 Charlie Haas when we were younger and blah, blah, blah. Not not to say that he needs to manage them, but putting him with them, I think, is just a good way to kind of kind of like a New Day type of a deal. You know, like like Raw has the New Day. You know, you have an incredible trio like maybe American Alpha needs to be American Alphas. Just saying, I mean, you know. Not that, that Gable and Jordan aren't capable of standing on their own, but I think, um, you know, a little, little Shelton Benjamin uh, alignment wouldn't, wouldn't hurt. I think it's a good way to kind of just slowly reintegrate him back into, you know, the swing of things. Shelton Benjamin, he could probably come back in there, wrestle, and it'll look like he hasn't missed a beat. I mean, his work in Japan um, alongside MVP as, uh, you know, bros, Black Godzilla and Bro Dan... Um, you know, Japanese strong style, ghetto strong style was, you know, was was great, stellar stuff. And who knows, maybe if MVP does come over, which has been rumored, uh, maybe maybe we'll see that. Maybe we'll see, you know, ghetto strong style with uh, Black Godzilla and Brodan. Who knows? But, you know, Benjamin and, and American Alpha, it, it writes itself. Obviously, that's me going with the most obvious. But I think I think Benjamin is going to be pretty successful, man. I think it's definitely going to be good. Uh, the other good thing, Ziggler's win. Ziggler's win was good because it was unexpected. I genuinely thought that they might have pulled the trigger with Bray Wyatt this time. I was bummed that they didn't. I thought, oh, maybe they'll do something crazy like with Balor and it'll be Apollo Crews, but, you know. Uh, Ziggler, Ziggler was a welcome surprise. My only issue, and this is purely from just a, a fan's perspective, is that You've done so much to really hurt Dolph Ziggler in terms of just, you know, he always goes out there. He, he, he's not a jobber, but it's like he goes out there, he has exciting matches and puts other guys over and isn't really a guy that's talked about in any sort of contention. And, you know, it's it's cool that he won again, unexpected. And it was great. But now you have to make people genuine, genuinely believe that Ziggler has a shot at becoming champion. Because that's the thing. I look at it and I'm like, eh, you know, I, you know, him and Ambrose, I think it's going to be a good match. I think the, 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 there's going to be great wrestling, but what else? What else is there? Are you going to, are you going to make Ambrose a, a tweener and have him kind of be a, a heel? Or are you going to turn Dolph? Or are you actually just going to go with a face versus face and leave it alone? Who knows? But, you know, I think WWE has a a decent window to, you know, and, and it's cliched, but to make Dolph Ziggler great again. 
They do. But again, it can go it can go sideways very very quickly. It was uh, it was a great finish uh in terms of, you know, Dolph being in the match, but um we'll we'll see what happens, man. I mean, there's there's a lot there's a lot to be said there. I think that that Ziggler Ziggler if he were to become champion, it would be it would be cool. Uh, you know, they were talking about him going into the uh, the Kent, I believe it's the Kent State Wrestling Hall of Fame. Very cool to see that. Um, will that will that be part of the reason why he's being put in there? Who knows? But I think it'd be cool if the guy, you know, is being inducted by his alma mater to maybe win the belt. I mean, he could he can always win it back. Um, remains to be seen. The other thing I got to say is I called it before the draft that we were going to have two belts and look at that two belts WWE Universal Championship and uh World Heavyweight uh WWE Championship so uh I don't know kind of uh and I told you so but seasoned wrestling fans knew that that two titles was was imminent uh also out of SmackDown came the announcement that there would be a SmackDown only pay-per-view that one being Backlash and um you know, that's that that was heavily debated. It looks like both brands are gonna have their own shows, their own pay-per-views, and then obviously they're gonna have their shows together, SummerSlam being one, uh, you know, the big shows, and we'll see how it pans out. I'm sure that there, there was a rumor of uh doing Clash of Champions to replace Night of Champions and um, you know, have all the champions compete. We'll see if that's the case, but um it'd be it you know, it'd be cool to see uh, the champions square off. I think it'd be a great opportunity to maybe put one belt of on each brand on the line, and, or or maybe just do it between either champion, and maybe that'll lead to a different type of stipulation. Maybe I don't know. The winner of that pay per view, their champion gets to main event the other pay per view, or gets to or uh, this would be cool. Uh, WWE Universal Champion versus WWE Champion winner gets to uh, gets a trade, gets first pick on a trade of any superstar they choose, and they can trade any superstar they wish. You know that interesting stipulations, but you have to do something where where if the champions are going to square off in any capacity, you have to make it mean something. You have to you have to put something big on the line or something of substance on the line to to really really shake things up. The other thing I, I did want to say is that maybe every year there was there should be a new draft. Every year there should be a new draft. The draft should be a yearly thing, and it would be a good way to switch champions, switch titles, uh, you know, introduce certain superstars. I think the draft should be an annual thing, and that's not to say that it that it that it won't be, but I think that it needs to be established that every year in July there's a draft, and that'll be it. I think um, it'd be a good way to 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 switch up the rosters, kind of put some new blood into each show. I don't know. Think it would work. Anyway, let's get into the other wrestling news of the week to wrap things up. As I mentioned, a lot of people and a lot of news outlets are saying that Roman Reigns' wellness suspension was due to a drug, a positive drug test for the drug Adderall. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Adderall is a uh, drug that is used to treat ADHD. 
And it's banned by most sports organizations because it can mass fatigue and pain and make people more alert and focused. Uh, most of the time, obviously, it's used for its correct purpose to treat ADHD, but it is used recreationally in a lot of sometimes in by by college students to obviously get incredible focus for tests, finals, research papers. Some just take it to function better. Um, in Roman's case, um, who knows? I mean, maybe he has ADHD and he's being, he's having it treated and he's not going through the proper channels. Maybe he's self-medicating who knows, but in any case it was, you know, it's being rumored that that's what he tested positive for. Obviously, uh, wellness violations when that, while they are acknowledged publicly, it is not, it is not stated what the wellness violation was for, but you know, a lot of speculation floating around is that it was for Adderall. Now, again, it's one of those things where maybe he did use it, maybe he didn't, but at the end of the day, was it worth it? Who knows? We'll see how it pans out. TNA's Jeff Hardy is in the news this week, as many people are saying that he has been uh, rather vocal about his TNA contract expiring in February and him wanting to go back to WWE if they want him. Uh, Jeff Hardy's an interesting case. And the reason I say this is because obviously there's the, uh, the stigma of, you know, substance abuse problems. But Jeff Hardy's fucking over. That guy is legit over. As soon as he comes out, people go crazy. He sells merch. Uh, you know, he's just he just looks the part. With the current landscape of, of WWE drafts, um, you know, and the rosters being open, so to speak, uh, a return for Jeff Hardy may not be completely out of the cards. I think that, you know, Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy at some point are, you know, WWE Hall of Famers for sure. Uh, their contributions to the sport are things that cannot be ignored. Uh, the thing is, with, with a guy like Jeff Hardy, where do you put him? It's like having him come in and be, you know, a mid-card savior. Eh, okay. But that's a guy that they're going to want to put the belt on. And honestly, if, if Jeff Hardy has his, his, you know, his substance abuse issues behind him, I'd, I'd love to see him in a WWE ring. I think that there's, there's a tremendous upside to having him there. Uh, it would add a lot, a little bit more star power to SmackDown, create some fresh matchups. But again, you know, the, I say this with the with the assumption that he is clean. If he is not, you know, that's that's egg on the face of the company. So we'll see what happens. Hardy's contract is up in February. We'll see if TNA is able to scrimp to uh, scrape together some money uh, and or you know look between the couch cushions to keep Jeff Hardy. I mean. Whether you love what's going on with him and Matt Hardy, or or you loved or hated Final Deletion, you know Jeff Hardy still he still quote unquote moves the needle so to speak. So we'll see what happens. Like I said, his contract's up in February, and uh, we'll see we'll see if uh, WWE gets a new signee uh, shortly after. I did want to talk about something that a lot of people mentioned before the draft. And that is, what happens to the superstars that are injured? And it is a good question. There's a lot of superstars that are off TV, injured or otherwise, and um, makes you wonder where they're going to go. So, like Brie Bella. 
Brie Bella on paper is retired, quote unquote, but she's still on Total Divas. Okay. She was never formally written off on TV. Let's be honest. She didn't get a retirement thing or a going away match or nothing. It was just like, okay, I'm retiring and that's it. Is it right? Is it wrong? An interesting question. The Rock. The Ro- if, if Brock Lesnar can be drafted and he is a part-time performer, <laughs> where does The Rock fit in? Special attraction? Raw superstar? SmackDown superstar? I mean, it, it, it's an interesting question. I mean, I don't know if we'll see The Rock back in the foreseeable future, but still... The guy, the guy is. Uh, if you if you drafted Brock Lesnar, who's a who's a part time superstar, you know the Rock. I mean, if I were smart, you know, if I were if I were the guy that was booking it, and I and I were smart, I would put the Rock on SmackDown because because it's you know his show it was named after his catchphrase. So you know you'd make the Rock appear on his show, the flagship show. You know, if that again, if I was the one booking it, the smart move. I'd be smart and put The Rock on his show. But Raw being the flagship show, you know that The Rock will be on Raw. Simple as that. Or The Rock The Rock has no rules and he goes wherever the hell he damn well pleases. Could do that too. Emma is injured. Um, I, see, I see her probably being put, put on SmackDown when she comes back. Unless they want to put her back with Dana Brooke. Could happen. We'll see. Heath Slater, of course, uh, free agent, baby. We'll see what happens. Heath Slater, and when it's all said and done, he's so going to SmackDown, but we shall see. Luke Harper, also injured, probably would go to Raw when he comes back. I think I think having him on Raw is, is key. Or maybe, maybe they'll switch it up since Raw already has Strowman and, and Rowan. Maybe uh, send Harper to SmackDown with Bray Wyatt. That could work, too. Maybe a tag team run in their future? Possible. Nikki Bella, of course, is injured, but she is uh, allegedly going to be back sooner rather than later. Um, while it's easy to say, oh, you know, you could put her on SmackDown. She could be a, a, the face of SmackDown. Nope. Nikki Bella will probably go on Raw because marketing. Or, you know, if you want to keep John Cena happy, then she goes to SmackDown. But it's, it's tough. To not put one of the quote-unquote stars of Total Divas on the flagship show. That's all I'm saying. Rosa Mendez is on maternity leave. I doubt anyone noticed. Ryback is sitting out his contract. Allegedly, if he came back, they'd probably send him to SmackDown. But who knows? Uh, Tamina is injured. Probably another one that Naomi's on SmackDown. Maybe you could keep her and Naomi together. Maybe. Or maybe you'll send her to Raw, but you already have a powerhouse on Raw with Nia Jax. Uh, Tamina's kind of lost in the shuffle. I would, honestly, and I said this before, send her to NXT. Uh, You know, redesign and rebuild. Send her down there. uh, Have her work with the ladies down there. Round out her arsenal. Then repackage her and then bring her up. I think Tamina still has the tools, man. She She still might have something to offer. Uh, Triple H, everybody's like, ah, Triple H, Triple H is, he's a fucking executive at this point. It doesn't even matter. I mean, if he decides to be active, you know, it's going to be on raw. So it's, it's a no brainer. Uh, Tyson kid is injured. If, and when he comes back, he'd probably go to SmackDown 
with Natalia, more than likely. Um, unless you want to reunite Kid and Cesaro, which there's always that. But I think uh, given given you know him coming back and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, his his return is already in question. But if he did come back, I'd honestly put him on SmackDown. I think he'd be a good mid card addition. And um, you know, having having him there with Natalia is not not a bad thing either. And of course, the Undertaker, much like I said about the Rock, part time guy can go wherever the fuck he wants. I mean, you know, Brock Lesnar drafted for the sake of semantics, but honestly, the Undertaker could go where he wants. But much like the Rock, you know, he'll probably end up on SmackDown unless the Undertaker was like a guy who only appeared on Raw and the Rock appeared on SmackDown. But that would involve logic. And uh, not necessarily something that floats around too often. But, you know, after Monday's Raw, you never know. Lastly, speaking of Brock Lesnar, he will be on Raw this Monday to, of course, assist with the build towards SummerSlam. Maybe mix it up with Randy Orton. Maybe come out and kill kill a couple of tag teams while they're wrestling. Who knows? Now, the thing is, a lot of people were saying that um, Paul Heyman's contract was up. And he was allegedly renegotiating. Will we see the advocate return to lead Brock to the ring on Monday? Or will Brock be solo? We shall see what happens next time on Dragon Ball Z. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, We'll see how it pans out on Monday. Anyway, with that last bit of news, that is actually going to wrap up the wrestling segment for this week. And it's going to wrap up the show as well. So with that said, you have just heard... Or watched episode my take episode three fifty five of my take radio, uh, archived episodes of this show. Well, let me rephrase that: archived versions of this show, as well as past shows, can be found in audio format on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Video formats: uh, YouTube, Vimeo. Uh, YouTube being the best. Vimeo, we're still working the bugs out. You can subscribe to Official RageWorks on YouTube. To get this episode and any of our past episodes, plus our unboxings, product reviews, uh, gameplay videos, and countless other stuff. Um, and of course, like I said, audio is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. But you can also find the audio file and the video on RageWorks.net. Just go to My Take Radio, find this week's episode, and boom, you get audio and video in one neat little package. Uh, iTunes will also be the best option for those of you that are getting the show on iOS. Everyone who is getting the show on iOS says that iTunes updates very quickly, usually within uh, minutes of me uploading a show. So if you're on iOS, uh, definitely iTunes. I mean, some people use Stitcher for that. And I've heard that the delay between iTunes and Stitcher getting the shows is pretty, pretty decent delay, but results may vary. But if you are on iOS, definitely going to recommend you using iTunes to consume the show. On Android, you've got a couple of options. You can listen to the show directly. You can download the MP3, of course. You can stream it through Stitcher or stream it through TuneIn Radio. Also, you can use the official My Take Radio app, which is $199, available for iOS, Android, and Windows devices. Uh, you're going to get access to a mobile wallpapers, exclusive content, uh, high quality audio versions of the show as well. It's one ninety nine. Uh, we've been working on making it free, but it's two bucks, people. You know, purchases of the app that go towards 
helping MTR and RageWorks become better for you. Last but not least, if you are interested in advertising or being a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio or any of our other shows, feel free to reach out, rich at rageworks.net or mtrhost at mytakeradio.com, whichever is easier. As for social media, I've given you my take. I'd love to hear yours. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash official rageworks. You can also look for Rageworks on Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram as well. And of course, we do have a presence on Google Plus and Pinterest. If you're into that, we do post a couple of things there as well. All right, guys, on behalf of myself and the rest of the Rageworks and MTR crew, thank you guys for tuning into episode 355 of MTR. I am out of here. I will see you guys later today for the gaming and entertainment edition of My Take Radio. Peace. Uh, 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 uh